just take John 3.16, that whoever believes, you know, Isaiah, who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? There's an awful lot of people that believe the report that don't want to have anything to do with going to church. And I, you know, they're, they're in the body of Christ. The Gospel, today on In the Shadow of the Cross. Another episode of In the Shadow of the Cross. I'm Lauren Rosser, and I'm here once again with Jim Durkin. Howdy. And Michael Harden. Happy holidays. And we are, what's funny is when people hear this, it's probably going to be like <laughs> January. <laughs> February. Happy MLK Day, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it still works. It still works. Happy holidays, whatever they were. <laughs> but uh, the topic we're going to be discussing today is really important. Um, it, it ranks up there high with, uh, I, I think the only one that comes close to it is the cross that we did those couple episodes on. And uh, we're going to be talking about the gospel. And the gospel is key. I mean, that is um, the message that we carry, the message we live. And sadly, um, a lot of what we've been calling the gospel has not been the gospel at all. And, uh, and it, gospel, it surprised me to realize that a lot of people don't even realize that gospel means good news. Um, and, and that if, if it doesn't sound like good news, it's not good news. I, I was thinking today before we started the podcast, if I told you, oh, an airplane was going to crash into your house and you were going to burn to death and die, but I was able to steer that plane to crash into your neighbor's house. Isn't that good news? <laughs> exactly. You'd be like, I don't think so. And and sadly, much of what we present as the gospel is exactly like that. It's something that we call good news, but if you tell it to the average person, it's not good news. And so hopefully we can untangle that um, probably over the next few weeks, because this is, this is a pretty hefty topic, especially because I have a feeling there's a lot of unlearning we have to do uh, before we're really ready to lay the foundation to go in, in the direction of what the gospel is. I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to you, Michael and Jim, and let you guys take it from here. Mr. Durkin, sir. Well, I just... Um... A, a, a very um, simple uh, look, uh, if, if, if you will, at just the scriptures that use the word gospel, especially in the uh, synoptic uh, scriptures. Um, those messages are not the doom and, and, and gloom, the escapism, the... Uh, as a matter of fact, the word kingdom enters in when coupled with the the gospel. This is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. He went everywhere, pre, uh, you know, teaching about the kingdom. And I remember years ago, uh, Michael, you probably remember this too. In the in the 
Jesus people days, uh, everybody was saying, you know, the Lord's coming back in the next three to five years, you know, it's like, oh, we've yeah. got to get everybody saved yeah. that we can, you know, and escape the flames of hell. And, and, uh, I, I, I just, you know, and, and my theology changed, but at the time I was like, you know, I don't think so because there's a scripture, you know, that, that says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world for a witness. Then, then the end will come. And, uh, you know, that's not what I want to talk about tonight or, or Michael, but uh, at the time. And I was like, we don't even know what the kingdom is. So how can we be preaching the gospel of the kingdom? We're not, we're not doing that. So, so don't worry, guys. He's not coming back in three to five years unless we get our, our stuff together real quick. <laughs> you know, so, you know I, back in the day, again, you know, when we'd go to the Jesus festivals and stuff, the gospel of the kingdom was this beautiful message about the powerful love of God. We really experienced together the love of the Father. We really did, yes. you know? Yes, Um uh, and, and our problem was we were all breaking out of dispensationalism at that point. Sure. And George Eldon Ladd was kind of our leader in that, you know, and uh, yeah, we were just busting out of that. I think the the um, one one thing you, you brought, let's start with the synoptics. In the synoptic tradition, when Jesus talks about the Basileia which we translate as the kingdom of God, the, the problem is the Basileia doesn't necessarily necessarily refer to a place. Kingdom implies place. Basileia can just as easily refer to reign, the way God reigns, how mm -hmm. God reigns. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is like or is not like, he's saying the way God reigns is like, or the way God reigns or, or orders existence is not like. And so, so today, you know, one thing that we would want to say to, to anybody that's listening is that when it comes to the gospel, it has to do with a difference, a fundamental difference between the way Jesus perceives his Father in relation to creation, okay, and uh, the way he, and we, and not he, but we understand the relation of God to creation. Our problem is our God concepts, going all the way back into primeval human history as we're evolving from uh, apes and we become human, is we learn to create gods out of victims. We use sacred violence and we create myths around human beings, turn them into gods, and thus justify sacrificial thinking. This is demonstrably proven. I can lay it all out in terms of not just simply anthropological theory or mythology, but now also archaeological evidence that takes us back to 7500 BCE in Katahoyuk or almost 10,000 BCE in Gobekli Tepe. So Jesus is contrasting his father, for Jesus, his father, is only love. His father's not the Deuteronomic God that blesses the good and curses the evil. No, his father only blesses everyone, good and evil. His father makes rain to, to fall on just and unjust, sun to shine on good and evil. His father is only light, is only love. This is something his faith tradition cannot hear any more than Christians can hear it today. Christianity is a religion 
that is a falsification of the original message of Jesus and Paul and certain others in the early church who understood very clearly that God, a God concept, was the problematic because it was Janus-faced. And that's why in the early church, the God concept was was given the title or the name Father, Abba, Daddy. So that's first thing I'd want to throw out. Wow, there's a lot there. Um, first of all, um, one thing I, I want to define terms just because there, there's probably some people listening who um, some of these uh, theological terms are not used to hearing, or, or a lot of times they believe a certain way and don't realize there's actually a name for that way they believe. So first, could you guys define a dispensationalism? Historically, dispensationalism is a, yeah, is a movement that arose in the early 20th century mm-hmm. as the result of the work of um, uh, Schofield. Uh, I can't I forget his, his initials or his first name. Charles Schofield, I forget. At any John rate, Darby, John Darby also. John, well, John Darby's before that. He's in England. I'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, okay. and dis- but dispensationalism... Uh, was a result of the Bible prophecy movement, which a result, res, it came up in America in the 1860s, 70s, where they had the prophecy tent meetings across the Midwest. Because again, wherever you have an apocalyptic crisis, like the Civil War, or the post-war period, which was a crisis period, you're always going to get apocalyptic tent preachers proclaiming the end of the world. We'll get them coming up here in this next four or five years like nobody's business. They'll, they'll come out of the woodwork, and they're right, the world is ending, but it's only the world as we know it, not the world, right? Okay, so dispensationalism divides uh, history into periods of time, seven of them to be exact, and they're they're divided in the history is divided by covenants. God makes these specific covenants: one with Adam, one with Abraham, one with Moses, one with David, and so on and so forth, till you get to the one with Jesus, which is the 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 final new covenant, yada yada, and then we have we're in the sixth age right now, the age of the church. And then there's the seventh age, which is where, you know, the good people go to heaven and the bad people go to hell forever. Okay. And that's it. And they're toast. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that because I was somebody who actually was a dispensationalist, but didn't even know it. Um, just because, you know, you're raised in certain teachings and you just assume that's how it is and you don't realize there's a name and a, a definition for that. So so I think that'll help some people. Um, also, I wanted to go back to what you said about Basilea um, being uh, being the way God reigns. That was awesome. <laughs> I mean, well, because I've always heard it as kingdom as a place. But yes. when you say he's right. saying the way God reigns, all of a sudden it's like all the parables just open up well remember jesus spoke aramaic so he's not going to say basilea he's going to say makut okay you know and um that that's a much you know i mean basilea too refers to reign okay where where you have a kingdom you have a reign you have a king okay but but the problematic in english is when we talk about the gospel of the kingdom we automatically think jesus had a Jewish view of the kingdom, whatever that was, as though there was one Jewish view of anything in Jesus' day, um, and that he was preaching the gospel about that coming kingdom. No, what he was actually doing was saying, look, you people think you know God in the way God reigns and rules and runs things. You don't. 
Wow. And that, that could tie right, that ties directly into what we're talking about with the gospel is that, I mean, I'm just going to put it out there, say it blunt. We think we know the gospel. I thought I knew the gospel for years and, and I did not realize how, how amiss I was. How my God concept was just like you're talking about, Jim and Michael, about um, how twisted that God concept was from being love and light into something that looks, like you said, the ancient pagan or um, heathen religions that were very sacrificial. Yeah, it's, I mean, when you look at Christianity, the the reality is uh, the Christian God is no different than a Molech uh, or, or a Zeus. Um, the Christian and, and the and the whole Christian apologetic tradition has has been about saying, yes, our God is like all the other gods. Just he's the true God. He's the powerful God. He's the one we can prove was in history. And the, so all the apologetics are trying to justify this Janus face, two face sacrificial deity, which again is just literally part of our. It's built into our social DNA. Okay, and so here here you have now this figure coming out and saying, look, you have this history with my father, but you've misinterpreted him throughout your history. So I'm here to show you what he's like. They could not handle that because, again, they needed a violent deity. Without a violent deity, there's no way that Judaism is going to come out from under Rome's thumb, right? That's why Americans today in the evangelical church, they need their violent Jesus to come at the end of time and wipe out the Russians or the Chinese or whoever the enemy of the day is, you know. Um, We need our violent God. We need our sick God. We need our death-dealing God. We need our hell. We need our penal substitution theory atonement where uh, God needs Jesus' blood because God's part vampire. I mean, that's all sacrificial thinking and has nothing to do with the gospel, which is the opposite of all that. And I, I think I think um, what you, what you, what you're saying I'm I'm catching a, a, a kind of a drift here that um, the gospel has to begin with a, a, an, a radical paradigm shift from place to reign. Yes, that um, as long as we see. Every scripture or any scripture that refers to the God, to the kingdom as a place, you're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Uh, oh, that's a place, uh, you know. Uh, in, in, instead of it being what you're saying is is a reign, the yes. kingdom <laughs> is among you. Yes, and that's the choke point for the disciples for the 70 whoever wait a minute we don't see you overthrowing rome yet how can the kingdom be among us and 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 it's in the unity of christ's body that we see the reign of god And, and 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 it's in how he relates to each individual as well as how he re- relates to the corporate. Yeah, I, I never, Jim, I've never looked for the reign of God in the church. I, I don't know. Um, I, I've just never done that. I, I don't know that Christianity is capable of uh, containing the reign of God, if I could, could use that kind of language. Um, 
I, I see the I see God's rule having broken out. For example, it left. There's a process by which the gospel begins to leave the church, starts at the Reformation, moves further away in the Enlightenment, moves even further away in the 20th century, where all of a sudden we have people like Gandhi reading the Sermon on the Mount and memorizing it and living by it. Um, Gandhi's more of a Christian at that point than Christians are, you know, or a Muslim who chooses the peacemaking path is more of a brother in Christ, so to speak, than the Christian that believes in holy war, you know, in the fundamentalist evangelical tradition. So the gospel's broken free of Christianity in, in the last couple hundred years, and um, the church no longer contains it. It's, it's out there as truth now in the sciences, uh, and this is one of the reasons why I love the mimetic theory, is it allows me to bring the gospel into science. We'll we'll come to that here shortly, um, but I want to say I, I hear where um, I hear where you're both coming from because I think um, Jim, I, I, what I hear you saying is more on a relational level in the body of Christ in the church that that you've seen Him reign because I could say I witnessed that in in living rooms and and among brethren where I have I have sat around tables with pizza sitting on it and and watch Jesus teach us all as each person shared. You know, um, I've, I've seen him deliver things prophetically as different people brought things just, you know, from their own heart to the table and marveled and said, nobody came with the teaching and yet we all just learned this tonight, you know, and, and watched him reign in that sense. Um, and so, so I hear what you're saying, Jim. And, and at the same time, Michael, I see what you're saying that especially in the, in the structured format, it has tried to contain and control, and that has never has not been successful. And it's funny you brought up Gandhi because I just watched this documentary on Mister Rogers yesterday, uh-huh. and I was going to talk about a man who knew the lived the gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I marveled at that, and, and yes. yet, and I realized years later, Billy Graham was going on at the same time he was, and years later. Mr. Rogers is the one that everyone looks back on and goes, what a man of love, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Michael. No, he was a liberal Presbyterian, that's why. No, <laughs> He was. He was an ordained uh, Presbyterian know, minister. I Let me jump in for a second before Please Michael, Michael uh, takes it a little further down the road. Uh, the word I used there was the body of Christ. And once Ooh. again, like... Michael, you're saying kingdom to most of us, that represents a place. Body of Christ to most of us represents the church. Yeah, I mean, that. I, I, I realized as soon as you, you said that, I realized, oops. And, uh, well, no, that's okay. I'm, I'm glad it happened that way because you're right. There, is, there are some, well, there's many scriptures, but how does one become a member of, if you will, of the body of Christ. Uh, we've all been taught, well, you say a prayer and, you know, and, and uh, you, you, know, you start going to church and, you know, you hopefully you find a church that you fit in and, and that's your, your church family and that, your fellowship and that's your whatever. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's like, just take John 3.16, that whoever believes... You know, Isaiah, who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? 
there's an awful lot of people that believe the report that don't want to have anything to do with going to church. <laughs> and I, you know, they're they're in the body of Christ. I, you know, we're talking we, to one of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to clarify that point. Yeah. So so going you you. <laughs> Started to mention the sciences, Michael. Yeah, and and I want to go back because this is going to springboard into the sciences here. Um, you mentioned the um, the early civilizations and and the 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 appearance of very very early man and how we can see the sacrificial view of God all the way back then. And I remember you sharing on this, so I want to I want to hand this over to you if you could. Sp- clarify that whole discovery back uh, this re it's actually kind of a recent discovery isn't it about well, man it, and religion it it, it is uh, you, you know you you could probably trace it back 50 years i mean to the with the um uh, to the beginnings of the work of girard in in the 1970s but um uh yeah i i mean yeah, you can go, I mean, there's a lot of discussion about sacrifice even going back into the beginnings of anthropology as a discipline in the late 19th century. Um, but the, the upshot of what I would say is this. Uh, up until now, science and religion as a category uh, have typically been seen as in conflict or or... or they each have their own domain. Domain science answers the how, religion answers the why. You know, I mean, uh, we've completely separated them. Um, one of the things that that I have sought to do in my work, and in particular, this is in my dissertation, um, is to show that knowledge in both the sciences and in religion comes from the exact same place, and that's the victim. In the human sciences, when you look at the human sciences, if we if we are willing to engage them with the mimetic theory, we can use this heuristically. We can see that there's so much evidence out there in so many of the human sciences that take us all the way back to the victim. In fact, we live in a world today, predicted by Nietzsche 130 years ago, we live in a world today where the victim is front and center, everybody's a victim, this group's a victim, that group's a victim, you're a persecutor, you're a persecutor, I'm a victim. It's all about victimage now, okay? And because it's everybody's a victim now, nobody's a persecutor. So, so this is not just leaked into science and religious tradition. It's leaked into culture. It's, part of, it's become part of our cultural ethos. That what I'm saying is that science, real true science, anthropological science, science about the human being, and faith traditions, religion, both start fundamentally with their knowledge base at the cross. Okay? So there's no knowledge of God apart from the cross, and there's no true knowledge of the human being apart from the cross, because the cross shows us what we are. We are persecutors. We hate God. We especially we hate a wimpy God. We hate a nonviolent God. We we want a God of power. We want a God of might. We want a God that'll do things. Damn it! Right. Yeah. And, and, and I'm glad you clarified that because uh, most 
Christians would immediately say, yeah, yeah, well, you know Jesus through the cross because he died for our sins and, and you have to you have to repent of your sins and ask him into your heart and then you get to go to heaven. So yeah, it starts with the cross. But I'm glad you clarified that, no, that it's, it's that that's where it, he reveals who he is and that he's nonviolent, that he's love and he's forgiving and that it reveals who we are. Like you said, we, we say, oh, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. No, I'm a persecutor. <laughs> I'm, I, I may have been the victim at times in my life or seasons or certain people may be victims of that persecution, but at the core, I'm a persecutor. I'm a scapegoater. Um, right. All you have to do is look at me back in high school to see who who was the kid that we all picked on. I right. could name names. <laughs> what is the ultimate conversion question? The ultimate conversion question is not, do you accept Jesus as your Savior? The ultimate conversion question is, why do you persecute me? Ooh. Okay? Even the, I mean, look, the Bible's saturated with this for those with eyes to see. Right? The, the problem is, is that, that Christianity, again, uh, and this is an insight I'll take from both Carl Barton and Doug Campbell, so I want to give credit, you know, because I don't have original thoughts. I just steal from everybody. Um, I'm just a theological hoarder. I steal ideas from everywhere and clutter my mind with them. Um, but Bart and Doug Campbell in New Testament studies have both shown that um, when we come at this business of doing theology and we say, okay, what's the problem? We have to define the problem first. Then once we've defined the problem, then we go after a solution. <clears throat> Campbell and Bart both said, Pup, that's wrong. The gospel comes immediately to us and gives us the solution. Shalom. Don't be afraid. What, what what would we be afraid of? Jesus, you're back. You're with us. Here you are. Look, it's the 12 of us. What would become, What could we possibly be afraid of? How about a little glory dust? Right? Yeah. No, the, there is a palpable fear. Why? Because they expect him to be vengeful. Yes. Right? So this shalom message, this, this truly eschatological world, this message now is the solution. Well, what's the problem? If, if peace is the solution, what's the problem? Violence. And complicity in violence. Whether it includes betrayal, denial, or walking away and being silent. Right? Yeah. So now, now, here's the gospel saying, I have a solution for you, but I want to talk to you about the problem. Well, Christianity's coming and said, oh, 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 the, the solution is that humans disobeyed God. God had a law, humans disobeyed it. Oh, so the law was the original solution to try to bring people, you know, to right relationship with God, but they couldn't do it. They were unable to, you know, the old Lutheran thing, right? Okay, they were unable to. Now, now what do we have? Well, we have Christ coming and fulfilling that law for us. And what's even better than that? is that he comes and lives in us so we can go fulfill that law, and we never do, and we can't, and we're unable to. And so they have, they have turned around and defined sin poorly, and as a result of defining sin is this breaking of taboos and breaking of God's rules so that every time you had a bad thought or did a naughty thing, you know, or whatever you did, oh, 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 oh what was new Christianity, right? And we've lived that. And we've seen it, and it is false, because that's not the problem. So we continue to live 
in our limited, uh, twisted understanding of the Romans 7 thing. Uh, I, I really want to do good here. Right. But I can't because sin is in me. Ooh. It's still the victim. It's right. still, uh, you know, dirty Adam. Uh, you know, he, he, he cursed the whole world and all generations forever. And I'm under that curse. And the whole of creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God so that they can be free from that curse. And, and the whole thing starts under this, I'm the victim, and Jesus is the rescuer, and all I have to do is do my best to follow Jesus all the days of my life, and let's not forget, when I don't do what I'm supposed to do, I can always repent. It's easier <laughs> to ask forgiveness than to ask permission. <laughs> you know? and, and, and it's like, you know, it, finally on my deathbed, you know, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, you know, of life, and on my deathbed is like, God, please, I beg you, have mercy on me. Take me to your home, you know, and and it's like, and this is the victorious gospel <laughs> that we preach, <laughs> you know. Exactly, yeah. when you put it that way, that's so sad. That's so pathetic. Well, it, it's horrible. I, I it is. You know the the amount of P, uh, uh, theological PTSD people get with this view of God. Is awful. It's not good news. It's not gospel, and it's and gospel does doesn't mean good news. It means God's oiangelion in Greek means good news, but but in English, gospel means God's um, um, a story. And if we're going to tell the story of the Father, we might as well tell it right. You know, that's why people ask me if I believe in God. I tell them I don't need to believe in a God. I trust the Father. Mm -hmm. I don't good. even believe in the Father. Like the father exists, I, that doesn't work. I tr just trust the father, mm -hmm. and that's the that's the gospel. It's by we are we are rectified. That is, we are put into right relationship by pistis trust. Faith is a horrible translation of the yes. term pistis. Yes, and and we import these Roman categories uh, from the Latin fides, which include transaction theory into pistis trust. In trust, there's no transaction. It's just I trust you. Yeah. Wow. That, that's awesome. It, it's funny because when you say it's, it's, his, it's God's story, um, it, it, it reminds me of how looking at the gospel, it, it's, it seems so obvious that it's, it, it's ridiculous, but it's amazing how I was blind to it for so long, is that the first four books of the Bible, I mean, of the New Testament, we call them the gospels. And, there's a reason they're called the Gospels, because it's God's story. And of course, we would go, yes, it's true. And yet, then when I went, wait a minute, okay, so what is the Gospel? And I start going, okay, well, these books are called the Gospels, so there must be something there. So I started reading them, and it was kind of weird, because I would go through and I'd go, I don't see four spiritual laws here. I don't I don't see Jesus saying believe in me so you don't go to hell when you die. I don't all these things I was told right they're not there but what is there is this 
this man who constantly turns away from hatred ex- yeah. and violence, loves his enemies, um, people who he's not supposed to accept, he accepts. Um, and then when he's, and then he dies a brutal death, but he doesn't even utter a curse word, a curse against them. And, and so you, you see this whole story and then like, like you both said, then all of a sudden you interject that he's showing us the father. Now that's mind blowing. And that's actually good news right there. Cause it's like, wait a minute. It, but see, we have to, we have to get all that other crap out of there that it's like, this is the gospel that we're seeing the father in Jesus. He's unwrapping who the father is before our eyes. Yes. Something, Michael, you just said, and and I, I, I've been just chewing on that, and it goes into what Lauren was just saying. Jesus showing us who the Father is. It isn't, I believe, yes, I believe there's a God in heaven. I believe in the Father. It's just, I, I, I trust him. I trust yeah. my Father. Yeah. And, and, I trust what? That he's going to be consistent with who he is. God is love. He's going to be consistent. He's going to be consistent with his message. You know, I I, I think we just came through the Christmas season. Uh, You know, the angel said to the the, um, shepherds, peace has come to the earth. You know, Uh, Jesus said to the disciples when he first appeared, Peace, shalom, uh, you know, peace. And and the Father is at rest. He's at peace with me. He loves me. And I yes. can trust that. I don't have to live my life with this constant fear that I might incur his his wrath, whether it be temporary or eternal. But uh, you know, even today, uh, you know, I don't have to worry. Like, oh my gosh, did I say enough hail marys? And 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 you know, our fathers, you know, uh, and you know, I'm sorry if I offended anybody with that, but uh, we we get into those little games that we play instead of realizing, Father, I I, I kind of like I I didn't at first when I first started hearing people say Father or saying Holy Spirit without saying the in front of it, you know, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and 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 I actually started. To, I'm starting to really like that because it's relational. It's not a title. It's he's not the father as in title. He's father. He's yeah. dad. He's yeah. he's Abba. He's you know. Yeah. And and I like that. And I don't have to do anything to be in relationship with him because he's in relationship with me. That's right. And, and Jim, when you were talking about when Jesus came, um, peace on earth, I, I was always taught that message as as a future event, you know, because that dispensationalism, sure. Michael, that you were talking mm-hmm. about, you know, yeah. that it's yeah. it's well, you know, someday for now we'll go join, you know, we'll we'll go kill our enemies and and do whatever we need to do to conquer and be above. But one day, 
he's going to come back and he's going to beat up all the bad guys using his violence and subdue them. And then there will be peace. And what what kind of blew my mind was the unraveling of that was that, no, what he's saying is it's peace now. Yeah. Peace on earth now. And yeah. Jesus was showing us what that peace looks like. And it's our our place is simply to embrace that. Yes. Yeah, the, the the real challenge, Lauren, I think, as we move in the, into this next decade is uh, fundamentally the same challenge that faced Karl Barth 100 years ago, really. Uh, and that's trying to help people distinguish religion from revelation. I mean, we're, it's a funny thing to say, but we're, we're still, I mean, we're, just, we're, we're still pre-Bartian. And, and when you say revelation, you, you don't mean the book of revelation. No, 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 no. I mean the revelation of the character of the Father in the Son by the Spirit. Exactly. Just wanted to clarify right that. Right. Yeah. So we, as we were going down this road, um, one of the things when we we're going back now to – you were talking about the sciences um, – it was fascinating to me that – I believe it was you who pointed out that they had – recently unearthed for the longest time they thought it was city first and then religion came yeah, and then but, go ahead well yeah the initial theory uh, regarding the relationship between religion and culture is that culture arose uh primates somehow learned to communicate and we created culture and the males were the you know the hunters and the females stayed behind to have babies and cook meals a general patriarchal view of things um, and, and then after that, you know, the, as, as we learned to, you know, work together in domicile animals and, and do agriculture, uh, we got nervous about the loud noises in the sky, you know, and sometimes the weather would change and we didn't have the great harvest. And then we wondered, so we created sky gods, you know, well, okay. So that, that, that's not, it's, it's not necessarily that it's not true. It's just, it's backwards. That is, the human beings, before they are homo sapiens, are homo religiosus. They are religious. We, we, are, we, have, we learned to cooperate through uh, sacrifice of, of others. Now, there's some arguments that sacrifice originates in the hunt. And that's, a, that's just a debate between Walter Burkert and Rene Girard, and you can have that debate, but... The thing is, no matter how you slice it or dice it, religion comes first. It is religion that creates culture, which is why Christianity, it, it's, it's spent its entire existence trying to coexist with culture and never critique the underlying element that holds up culture, which is the notion of, of the sacred violence or the, 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 the angry god. Right. Interesting. Because, yeah, I, I remember there was a temple or something that was unearthed that was surprising uh, archaeologists. I wish I had the article in front of me. But but because for the longest time, like you said, they thought civilization came first and all of a sudden they unearthed this temple that predated anything that was culturally city or anything like that. Before, and, before, yeah, before civilization. Yeah. And they realized this was used for human sacrifice. Correct. And 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 so it it shows that from the earliest time we were sacrificial, That's and then true. and then and then what's interesting what makes and and it's I, I think something that we kind of overlook a lot of times is you know we'll go oh the Old Testament it was you know um, they they were sacrificing animals because God dem demanded 
sacrifice. But but actually, when I look at it, it, it I could be way out there, but I kind of see it as no. They were kind of like adopting the the uh, how how like you watch the vampire movies, and there's the vampires who are the good vampires who go, I only drink the blood of animals. Yeah, I don't yeah, drink yeah. the blood of people. And right. and it, so you see human beings. God the Father meets us where we're at. And so you, I could see his involvement, not in the sacrifice sense of I want sacrifice, but in the sense of, okay, you're not ready to completely wean off of this, but let's well, go to animals. Okay, so, so at that point, you, you've, you've basically brought in a view of God and history that is, you can find that in Irenaeus, you can find it in Clement of Alexandria, it's known as the pedagogical view of history. Look, if, if the father had come to Abraham that day and said, dude, I'm, I'm going to make your progeny like the sand of the sea. But I got news for you. I don't go to battle. I don't go to war. I'm not a god of war. I'm a, I'm a pacifist. Abraham would have said, get out of town. Right? Yeah. It, it's taken not just Judaism, but it's taken Judaism and Christianity and Islam. The monotheistic religions... Here we are, if you put it all together, we're what, like 3,500, 4,000 years old, right? Yeah. And we're just, just now, little teeny lights in small places beginning to see it. Yeah. I mean, we have been in the dark. Church history, the Christianity talks about the dark ages. We've been in 20 centuries of dark ages. Is there any in any century or any period of time where their understanding was more enlightened than uh, we are today? It would depend on the <clears throat> excuse me. It would depend on the area. So, for okay. example, if you said go to the to the to the fifteenth uh, century, I would say let's go to Holland. Let's talk about the Devotio Moderna movement. Uh, that's a movement started in the fourteenth century by Geert Groot. Uh, who wrote a book uh, that was the biggest bestseller of all times. Uh, it was mistakenly attributed to one of his disciples, Thomas from the village of Kempen, but The Imitation of Christ was written by Geert Groot in, the, in that you know, late 14th, early 15th century. I would turn you to that movement. There's a, there's a group of people got it. The Pietists, uh, Jacob Spener, Franke in Germany, uh, the Bloomhearts in Germany in the 19th century. Um, the Pietists were in the 17th century. Um, Francis of Assisi, certainly. Not his followers. His, as, as soon as Francis dies, the followers uh, become rich. They, they, they yeah. give up on Francis' ideals. Yeah. And they, well, you know, so so there are always, there's always that. Dr. King mm -hmm. um, and, the, and, and the majority of those in the civil rights movement were an example of this. Uh, not today's modern protest movement that wants to claim that. No, 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 no. They're light years from it. And the reason modern protests fail is because they weren't birthed in the church in nonviolence. That's what made the civil rights movement so powerful, because it was the power of God behind it, the power of nonviolence. Today's BLM and Antifa and leftists and Trump lovers, now all these people that want to use violence and claim God as their ally. So, so there's always been times in churches where you find it, but most of the time, you tend to find the sacrificial thinking. Mm -hmm. And and when did you say the Jesus people had had a glimpse of that? I mean, no. just because they didn't, huh? Because yeah. because uh, I was wondering if them coming out of the kind of the hippie peace uh, stuff maybe we, rubbed we, in. Into I mean, that. we were anti. We, there, there was a certain anti-establishment uh, mentality in the Jesus people, but 
Uh, no, the Jesus people didn't see, you know, if the country was going to go to war like it was, uh, we didn't bother. It didn't really affect us. I mean, people went to war. They didn't go whatever, you know. We we were about peace with each other. We were we were trying to learn to love each other, you know. Gotcha. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and so the war issue was, well, that's what the state says. Render unto Caesar what Caesar's go to war. go to or, or, you know, you might believe it's a right cause. You know, the nasty godless commies are coming or whatever. I mean, I never went to war. I was a little younger than Jim. I know Jim went to war. Um, you know, and, and, you know, so he could probably address this much better than I could. Not going to, but I could. <laughs> well, no, okay, no. I, and I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but what I'm saying no. is my perspective on this is not, I mean, okay, so it's, it's intellectual, yes, um, yeah. but it's not personal. And I don't know if, Very, I've never, I've never met a soldier that gloried in war. I'll tell you that right now. No. None, none that actually saw it. Yeah, none that actually uh, saw yeah. it. You know. Yeah, we, uh, in some of the military organizations that I'm part of today, uh, brotherhoods and whatever, uh, we we just laugh when we get a young man that comes and he tells us about, oh, I did this and I was in this battle and I, I was over here and I carried this weapon. It's like we just look at each other, roll our eyes, and th this guy's never seen, you know. <laughs> He, he's never seen anything because the guys that the guys that actually uh, were in battle, the ones that saw action, don't talk about it. That's right. That's they right. don't talk about it. Yeah, that's right. And the Jesus People Movement, um, Lauren, uh, it was unfortunate in in some respects that the very beginning of it. There was only one thing that we knew, and it would have been a, a, a wonderful movement. It was a wonderful movement. I'm not. I'm not putting it down at all. But it would have been even that much more. The one thing we knew is that Jesus loved us. Yeah. We didn't know anything else. We knew that. Yeah. Until teachers decided that we needed to be taught. Yeah. And when they decided that we needed to be taught. We got all of the uh, established uh, doctrinal positions of evangelical, Pentecostal, Baptist, all, all of it rolled in, into one. Concurrent with the Jesus People movement was the uh, renewal. There was a, uh, oh, what did they call that? Uh, and there was a group of, of, of men that were kind of the head of that. Uh, movement, and um, they were very steeped in all the doctrines of the church. Oh, yeah. And they insisted that everybody pass the test, so to speak, you know. Right. You need to get this. And, and so the idea that not only the only thing we knew, but the only thing we need to know is that Jesus loves us. It would have been a really awesome had at the same time and the father loves us but at least we knew jesus loved us okay yeah it would have been awesome had that have been left alone and it's like okay 
That's all you need to know right now. <laughs> That's pretty you know. funny. We knew Jesus loved us. We weren't sure about the Father, and the Holy Spirit just was doing weird ass shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true. You, you, what you're saying, we weren't sure about the Father. It's no, like... <laughs> no. Well, wow. we knew Jesus was the good cop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and again, that goes right back to to my roots growing up too, and and just and only because that's the same thing the people who taught me were taught. You know that Jesus, good cop; Father, bad cop. Yeah. Jesus made Father kind of good cop. <laughs> 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 At least gave him, as Michael, you would say, gave him a Prozac. <laughs> Moder- moderately tolerant. Yes, Jesus. Jesus is our our advocate. He's he's the he's interceding. Uh, which the way I was uh, presented that he's ever, you know, interceding before the Father is, you know, every time the Father wants to send a lightning bolt, Jesus raises his hand and says, not on my watch. I like that guy, so leave him alone. <laughs> you know? I, mean, I mean, what's funny is we knew that Jesus loved us, and we were we still went out in the street with the, the chick tracks and evangelized, you know? Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. and, and, and I didn't understand it then. I, I think now I, if, if I reflect much on it, I probably... If I could remember incidents, but people would reject, you know, this, you know, Jesus loves you, but you're going to burn in hell if you don't accept, you know, and it was just like, they'd look at you like sideways, like, is your, is your drunk, you know, mentally disturbed or challenged? Are your God, is your God a drunk, you know, is your God a, a, a dysfunctional parent? What's with your God, you know, beats up one of his kids to save the rest. What's with your God? If that's. If, if the God of Christian theology uh, were to be examined today in a court of law, he'd be arrested. Yeah. Be arrested. You know? I, I find it interesting just what you're saying, and, you know, this may not prove true, but if our gospel, use that term very loosely, that we preached in the 70s, mm. was that twisted or that misrepresentative of who God is, who the Father is, who Jesus is, and yet by the thousands, people turn their life over to the Lord. What do you think the result would be? Jim, I'd say people got religion. I I don't know about turning their life over to the Lord. How many people do you know from back in the day that are seriously committed to following Jesus today? Fortunately, a lot. Oh, you? Oh, see, I don't know many at all. Fortunately, a lot. But I wasn't in Southern California, so that's different. Well, I was in, I was, <laughs> I was in Central Valley, not, not LA. Okay, yeah. Don't, don't, yeah, don't yeah. you go put me in the wrong part of the state now, but I was in <laughs> yeah. Northern California. I was in Southern California, and I was like four years old. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But but what do you think the result will be if if we get it right? Well, that that's where I I am really just having to trust the spirit's work now. That even like the podcast like this, so we yeah. sit here on our Monday nights and yeah. we do our thinking together. Um, people listen to it, right? My hope is that there are going to be those that are actually listening to our voices, that for for whom the light bulbs will go on. And they will in turn be be empowered uh, by the Spirit to be passionate. And they'll seek a career 
in uh, what we would tech, we would call ministry or theologists. In other words, they would have burning, passionate questions that they would be seeking to answer, um, in a sense, in a priestly vocation for others. You know, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, My thoughts, Jim, actually, in answer to to your pondering uh, about how they came in, in spite of the the God, uh, the the fearful heavenly father that was presented to them is that they saw the love among the people um that that i think that that superseded the scary part of the message because mm-hmm. they they saw you know how it talks about they'll know we are christians by our love um that they they saw genuine love for one another among uh, among you during the jesus people movement and i i think that was the I think that was the the hook, if you will, or that actually drew them in. Well, remember, Lawrence, we we were living in Christian community. We 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 pooled yes. our resources. Yeah. Yes. You know, when you when you're pooling, you know, if you, if you got me putting my money in the pot, same pot that you and Durkin are putting yours in, we, we are going to work together and love each other. There's a there's a level of commitment there that is above and beyond the norm. Exactly. Know? And, and that's what I'm talking about because I actually witnessed that for myself in somebody coming to Christ where I was um, – it was actually at a church picnic, Jim, when you were pastoring Old Town. Um, we, it might have been when Mike Becker was and you were assistant pastor. But, but we, were, we were out in the Redwoods having a, a, a picnic and I brought a friend of mine from – I worked at a pizza place there in the, in the mall and I brought him with me. And uh, we're swimming in the lake and stuff, you know, and he, he wasn't a believer and uh, swimming in the river there. And uh, we sat down on the side of the river. And, and if you you might remember, our friend Abel came over. He was, sure. he was quite the evangelist, sat down next to him in the true sense of the word, sat down next to him and just goes, do you know Jesus? And he's looking across at all the people having the picnic together. And he goes, no, but I want to. <laughs> and that, that rattled my world when I saw that because he didn't go explain to me your beliefs or he looked at the love he saw that was real that was happening right in front of him and that made him hungry and and that's why I I, and I that was the residue I saw from that was still there from the Jesus people movement Um, and so that's why I know what you're talking about Michael about the people sharing and having um, and and being committed to one another in that sense everything being in the same pot that that that's something that it like you said it takes love for that to happen and so that kind of like made them ignore the crap if you will yeah I think I think you're getting down to the what what I would call the heart of the gospel okay it's it's so much more than words uh, you know, Michael, you're you're talking. We lived in communities, you know, and when you see people, go back to go back to just the disciples, and uh, you know, I I've been saying this. I say it in my book, uh, you know, and and now there's a, a series on on you know that you can get on uh uh you know the angel network you know that brings this out but when you think about the disciples you here you have two competing fishing families okay you have the tax collector that they paid their taxes to you have a zealot 
in the in the group, you know, and 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 you've got all these people in this group, and they're learning how to love each other. They're not. It's not about getting their theology right. It's it's about getting their life right as as a community, and and, and I think the thing is is that in the very early days, it was we saw a new pe- person come on, uh, you know, the commune or the ranch or whatever. It's like, nobody said it this way, but it really was this way. Oh, here's somebody new that I get to love. And I, I get to welcome them into the family, you know. I get to know them. And and I, I, I think that's the power of the gospel, is that it transforms a person into a person of love, into a person of peace, into a person of, you know, you know, uh, relationship, and and when people see that, it would be nice if we were all, um, you know, couldn't talk. <laughs> And, and just lived our life, and people say, wow, I like what I'm seeing over there, you know? It's like, that's pretty cool. It's when we open our mouth and start talking that it's like, uh, what, you, what you were saying, Michael, it's like, uh, your God's really confused here. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking Jim wants to turn us into uh, uh, Cistercian monks. We don't oh, yeah, there, that would be, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> the, Welcome the brown to the podcast. For the next hour, sit quietly with your thoughts. Well, but exactly, isn't the gospel though supposed to be the fruit of the gospel? Is is a new kind of humanity? It's I a mean, message. It's a message. Oi, on Gelion. Yes. It's a message. It involves words. Words are important. Doctrine yes. is important. Okay, theology is important, but doctrine and theology are not what Christianity says they are. Right, but wouldn't it be the fruit of that theology is what I'm saying? Because that's like the seed that goes in the ground. We live our theologies. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the fruit of that when you see that that theology is embraced and living and alive, that that you end up seeing a people who are a new kind of humanity that, that are imitating Jesus, basically. Yes, you can. You can. I, I've actually been in a few congregations where I felt the presence of Jesus. But most churches on Sunday mornings, it's just religion. Yeah, and I walk out before I get angry and say something in the middle of the service to the preacher about what a lousy exegete is. <laughs> Man, this this one flew, you guys. Um, we we are already at time, and no way. But, but we are definitely going to pick this up next week because yeah. uh, there's still a lot I want to talk about. Because one well, we thing I want to talk about. We got to talk about the God of the Old Testament. Exactly, we got to talk about that, and and I want to get to just straight up to what what is the gospel you would preach? You know what what's the message that you know? But but I want to lay all this foundation first because I don't. What, the last thing I want to do is us memorize a message. Okay, here's the message, everyone. Go memorize this and take it out to the street. You know, no, it's it's that you. You have to get the untangling first so that the heart is in the right place. And look at us. Here we are, silly enough to think we're actually going to untangle 2,000 years, right? (laughs) But but we're doing it because the Spirit's leading us, because it's Mm -hmm. happening all around us, and we're just a part of a bigger project. Exactly. Going on in the world by the Spirit. So it's a wonderful thing. 
Oh, exactly. And it's yeah. true because, I mean, I shudder sometimes at things. Michaela will remind me of, Dad, I remember one time you said this and that. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> you know, I've come a long way. So, yeah, so I, I, I have hope. <laughs> so, well, guys, this has been fantastic. And uh, to all our listeners out there, we'll be back again next week with part two on the gospel. Until then, we'll have a great week and we'll see you next time. 